0: Hey Midtown Fellowship, um, it's really good to be with you this morning um, or this afternoon whenever you're tuning in. I um, want to call us to worship and uh, I don't think I need to overstate uh, the importance of worshiping right now and I wanted to say a little something about what we even mean by worship and what we think happens when we come to church, uh, when we gather publicly, um, even if it's over video. And uh, and and. Worship has multiple components. Um, there's certainly the, the praise and joy, uh, expressions of joy to the Lord, part of worship. Um, but there's also uh, maybe the, the more somber and deeper, maybe, um, components of worship that we take really seriously here. And so as we get into the service and, and um, we will have a, a new uh, sermon series uh, for the next couple weeks um, in light of what has been going on in our country, and we felt like that was really important. And so the content even of the passage that we're going to preach through and the, the words that are going to be preached um, are not holding back any punches on uh, what we believe needs to be said about what's happened and about what our response needs to be. Uh, and so as I call us to worship, uh, maybe um, accept the fact that the Lord might want to do something with you and in you this morning, uh, this afternoon, that is very different than what you expect. And we believe that all those things, that that whatever the Holy Spirit of God does when He comes and dwells in us, um, through the the preaching of the Word and the listening to to songs and worshiping, um, whatever He wants to do is good for us. Um, So I'm going to call us to worship this morning uh, from the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. For righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's worship the Lord together.
1: As we sing this morning... Let's do so knowing that we serve a good king, a king who is known by mercy, but is waiting and eager to extend mercy to us, to anyone who calls upon him. Heaven's crown, you laid aside for the weight of love. You came to die on a gruesome cross for curses. The hand of God brought light to dark Buried all my shame Beneath His holy name My King is known by mercy from shadow Oh, your God, my tears redeemed, as grace is given freely, that death may not defeat me. No thank you for your mercy God we need your mercy in times such as this Lord we need your mercy so would you turn to us Lord Lord would you give us your compassion your mercy your love open our hearts to hear your word and would you come and heal us we ask this in Jesus name Amen.
2: Hey, Midtown, Uh, it's good and strange yet again to be with you uh, on camera, Uh, but we're going to dive into the Word now. So if you would, uh, read with me uh, Psalm chapter 5. These are the words of David. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. So three things we're going to look at today from this psalm as David leads us through this. Um, And given the current uh, climate, given the state of current events, uh, I hope that this psalm teaches us all, guides us all. Um, The first thing we're gonna look at is the tears that David has for justice. The second thing we're gonna look at is the mirror that uh, is held up by God's justice. And lastly, uh, being led into the way of justice. So the tears for justice, the mirror of justice, and the way of justice. So first, uh, the tears for justice from David. The context for this psalm is that David is being chased, David is being uh, pursued by his son Absalom. David is king in Israel and his son Absalom has begun a mutiny. Absalom wants the throne and he's gotten a mutiny started with an army of men to chase David down. David actually leaves his palace to go run and hide from his son and he refuses to fight back. And what's going on is David is being oppressed. David is actually a victim of injustice from the evil that is pursuing him. And it's not only that David's whole household is being ripped apart by this injustice. The whole nation is in shambles. Everybody is afraid. Everybody's talking about it. No one knows how this is going to work out. And so David begins this psalm by leading us into how he feels about what is taking place. He begins the psalm this way, verse 1 and 2. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. Consider my lament. David here is lamenting. He's grieving what's going on. In fact, the literal Hebrew word for that word lament is to groan or to sigh. Ah. <sighs> David is making an audible, he is crying out, he is, he is groaning, he is moaning, he is sighing, he is lamenting what is going on around him. What's he sighing about? What is he lamenting? What is causing this response in King David? Well, the context tells us, but it needs to be restated that David is not moaning or groaning or lamenting a hypothetical injustice. David is living in injustice and he's watching what injustice is doing in real life all around him and his real response to the real evil and to the real wickedness is to lament. This is how David describes what's going on. These are the words that David puts to the actual evil that is being done to his family and to to the nation that he's ruling over. Verse four through six says this, for you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful, you, O Lord, detest. Those descriptors are, are again, David is, he's accounting. He's describing something that is really going down. He's dealing with real evil. Later on in the Psalm, in verse 9, David puts more language to it. He calls them, uh, he says that they can't be trusted. He says they are full of malice. He says their throat is an open grave. and He says they speak lies. This this fully orbed picture that David gives us of the reality that he's living in teaches us something about the evil and the injustice that David is watching. He's seeing it happen, but he also knows what's going on inside the perpetrators. He's calling out their hidden sins. And so a mature view of the evil that he's experiencing begins to get painted for the reader that David understands there's a deep connection between what's going on inside of the people that are perpetrating this evil and what's going on on the outside of them, that evil is never just a surface issue, that evil is never just something that is actions. Evil starts inside of people, and David sees that. And when David sees it, experiences the evil inside and outside of these people who hate him, and he's witnessing it all, he laments, he groans, he sighs. Has anybody sighed these past few weeks? Anybody groaned? Anybody lamented the horror of a black man had his, having his life taken away from him at the hands of another? Anybody groan over the systemic and historic racism that exists in our nation? If that's you, good. You carry the weight of glory in you, and your groaning and your sighing proves it that I don't really care where you fall politically, that God's people throughout all of history are never allowed and have never been allowed to witness the suffering and the injustice that happens to other people in their world and be unaffected by it. This world is full of hate. It's full of evil. It's full of racism. The world is not working right. The world is broken. And the people of God are called first to lament over that, to grieve that that's the reality. We're to lament over what sin has done to the world. We're to lament over what racism has done. We're to grieve over the loss of an innocent life. We're to lament over the violence. We're to lament over the systemic issues that seem insurmountable. Please, Midtown, don't miss this. David's first initial response to the evil that he is being threatened by and to the evil that he is witnessing, his first response is to lament it, to grieve it, to groan over it, to sigh in response to it. That we long for a world that is devoid of injustice. We long for the kingdom to come. We long for sin to be totally dealt with in this world. So maybe you've grown this week by joining a peaceful protest. Maybe you've lamented in prayer this week. Maybe you've grown by reaching out to a friend of a different color than you just to check in on how they're doing Maybe you've used this as an opportunity to teach your children about sin and injustice and evil in the world. I don't know how you've groaned, perhaps. I don't know how you've lamented, perhaps. But however that has taken shape in you, if you're a Christian, it's a really good thing. That should be the response of God's people when we see evil and injustice happening in our world. It's so good for the church to be on the front lines of mourning and lamenting in the face of evil and injustice. It awakens us. It wakes our hearts up to how the world ought to be. It shows us that we long for something that's different, and it makes us yearn for something better. But perhaps maybe the most important reason why lamenting should be the first response of God's people, yes, it awakens us to how the world should be, but here's maybe a deeper reason why our response initially should be to mourn and to lament. It's that God is groaning too, This passage tells us not only the things that David is lamenting and mourning over in the world, it also shows us that he's taking his cues from the Lord on that. Listen to how he says again that not only does he hate these things that are being done, but the Lord hates them too. He says, for you are not a God who is pleased. You, Lord, hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. You detest the evildoers. God is the first responder, and God's first response is to hate the evil and injustice that is being done. God is groaning too. Listen to how, listen to these uh, actions that is going to be true for those who perpetrate injustice and wickedness in the world. It says in verse four that they are unwelcome by God. It says in verse five that they are cut off from his presence and hated by him. Verse six says that he destroys and detests those who do evil and wickedness. We don't usually like to think of the Lord in those terms. Those are harsh words indeed. But it's as true biblically as anything else that we need to know that God hates sin and evil because it destroys the things that He loves. And so Christians, people of God, we get our cues from our God, who is the first mourner at sin, who is the first lamenter over injustice. And so when we join that, part of why it's so good is when we see injustice and we see evil and we grieve and we moan and we lament, we are actually getting pretty close to the heart of God because He's been doing it long before us. That's where David takes us in the first six verses, that it's proper, it's good, it's right for the people of God to respond to these things this way, because that's how the Lord is responding. That's beginning to, to get close or to take steps into what we call social maturity here at Midtown, that we, we actually, because we're made in God's image and because we're being made like our Father, we are going to take on the family resemblance. One of the things that means for us socially is that we would grieve and lament and mourn when evil is done in the world. That's where David takes us at first. But his tears for justice lead him to the next Step in this psalm as well. They lead him to the mirror of justice. There's this this shift after verse 6 and it's it's not merely a shift uh, as much as it is a a pinnacle moment in the psalm. In fact, many scholars would say that verse 7 and 8 that's right in the middle of this psalm is actually the crescendo moment of this psalm. It's what everything before verse 7 and 8 is leading up to it and everything after verse 7 and 8 is in light of verse 7 and 8. And so this center part of the psalm, David does this often, that we we tend to think that the main point of the psalm perhaps is at the end of the psalm. But what actually is happening is that the main point of the psalm is right in the middle. This is where David is leading us, and this is what is guiding every other word of the psalm for David. So we're going to start with verse 7. He says this, But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down toward your holy temple. Here's the literal literal translation of that verse, verse 7. But I will enter your house through the abundance of your loving kindness, O God. This is so important, and it can feel like a shift from where David had been lamenting and grieving, but it is so mature of David. It's so healthy for David and for us to, to learn what is going on here. David knows exactly how God feels about injustice and evil in the world. David knows that God is lamenting over the injustice and evil that is going on in the world. David knows that, yes, people who perpetrate injustice, people who are uh, actors of, of wickedness and who are evildoers in the world, those people are excluded from God's presence because of their sin. But please don't miss this. David does not believe that he is admitted into God's presence because of the strength of his own virtue. David knows what allows him to enter the Lord's presence is solely the mercy and grace of God. The psalmist knows that the entrance into God's house is the abundance of his mercy, the abundance of his loving kindness. Look, if we want justice and we all do inherently because we're image bearers of God, and that means we want what He wants ultimately deep within us. If we want justice, let me read this list one more time of exactly who God detests and exactly who God destroys and who is not welcome in God's house. The arrogant, the wicked, the liars, the deceivers, the untrustworthy, and the wrathful. Are you sure you still want to come before God and stand before him on your own? God's justice is held up to David and to us like a mirror. And as much evil and injustice may be going on out there, we would be fools to believe that the same amount of evil and injustice is not also going on in here. And it may look different. It may not have the same fruit, but it certainly is the same root system. And this is what the whole psalm hinges on. Remember, verse 7 and 8 is the the hinge, it's the pinnacle, it's the crescendo of the psalm. It's as if David is saying throughout this whole psalm, Lord, protect me from them, and Lord, protect me from becoming like them, because I am the same. I am no better. David knows, David knows, trust me, David knows the evil that resides in his own heart. And he's coming before the Lord, and he's admitting it. I'm coming before you, Lord, based on your mercy and not based on my merit. This is why what David does here is so healthy and so helpful. He is able to hold both things at the same time. We feel like we can't do this, but David is able to hold both things at the same time. I can have a deep, passionate lament against evil and injustice. and At the same time, I can be aware that without God's mercy, but for the grace of God, go I. And it's actually those two things in tandem that that actually holds this whole psalm together. That what David doesn't allow his hatred of injustice to lead him to, it doesn't allow him, he doesn't allow himself to be led into self-righteous bitterness. It doesn't allow him to draw a line in the sand of who is in and who is out. It doesn't allow him to sit in the seat of judge and jury of deciding who's in and who's out. David knows that he can hold his passionate lament against evil while also holding on to his own understanding that only by the abundance of God's mercy can I enter his presence. So let's do a little self-reflection, some personal uh, digging here. To use the language of this psalm, what are the ways, maybe even in the past week or so, that show that we maybe really don't believe that only by your abundant mercy can I enter your presence? What are the ways that we think we deserve to be in His house but others don't? Maybe uh, you're in the camp that hasn't posted anything on social media, hasn't had any conversations uh, about what's going on. Maybe you have stayed silent in this whole Uh, set of events that all the fires that are burning across the country, maybe you haven't lamented or groaned one iota over the news over the past couple of weeks. And if that was you, was any part of that motivated because you think this whole thing is an overreaction and you think the cries of the oppressed and the cries of the victim that they really don't understand what's going on that you think that systemic racism maybe is just a social construct and that it's kind of imagined and we need to get the full picture and only one story is being told by the media? Was any part of you unmoved because you think you see the full picture better than anybody? Did your self-righteousness keep you silent? Did your lack of lamenting come from a place that thinks maybe those people don't deserve your lamenting? Or maybe, let's go to the other side, maybe you did lament this past few weeks maybe you are groaning and lamenting but how quickly did many of us perhaps how quickly even in the recesses the secret recesses of our own minds and of our own hearts did we say something like this even just to ourselves man what happened in Minnesota what's happening across the country is really bad but I'm not a racist how quickly do we go to self-justifying ourselves and keeping our image intact even while we might be lamenting something It's the instant, I'm not as bad as other people stance that we all inherently take, even while we're calling out evil and injustice, even while we're groaning over what's going on. We love to make sure that we still think we're doing just fine. Or did anybody this week have conversations with friends about what's going on? Or did anybody post anything on social media and there was perhaps a slight, slight motivation that when you posted it or when you were chatting with your friends, that the reason why you were doing that is so that you would be viewed rightly by your community. That what led you to post something or led you to say something was keeping the image of being right, was keeping the image of not being like everyone else, was keeping the image of being woke. What were you after in your conversations, in your posts this week? What, what drove you to do that? What were you after in your self-talk and in your self-commentary in regards to the news? Was any part of that about you? Was any part of that about keeping your image intact and making sure you knew they can't enter the Lord's presence because of their evil, but I'm doing just fine on my own? Let me ask this. If you're someone who is reacting and maybe even peacefully protesting, if you're someone who's posting on social media, if you're someone who's having good conversations, what is your immediate thought about the people that aren't doing that? What is your viewpoint of the people who don't get it like you? What is your viewpoint of the people who are on the other side of the spectrum from you? You think they're just a little bit worse than you? How much have you judged the unwoke in your world? See, it's this subtle but really deadly poison that self-righteousness always loves to rear its head in our hearts. Even in our lamenting of injustice, we can begin to subtly believe that because we're lamenting injustice, we are therefore just a little bit better than those that aren't. And we can judge others properly about who can enter the house of the Lord and who can't. We judge who's in and who's out. This is why what David says in verse 7 is so pivotal for us. It's only those who see the evil within them being just as great as the evil outside of them that can run to God for mercy. See, we are the ones that deserve to not be welcomed in God's house. We are the ones that deserve to be hated by the Lord. We were His enemies. We were the ones who were perpetrating injustice. We were far from the Lord. We deserve for the Lord to crush and hate us. And yet, because of the abundance of His mercy, God, who justifies the ungodly, according to Romans chapter 4, God, in His great mercy, while we were still His enemies, sent Jesus after us. He stepped into the story to satisfy justice on our behalf. And so this is the thing that actually drives God's people to be fighters for justice and to be fighters on behalf of the oppressed, to give a voice to the voiceless, to go after the fatherless, to go after the forgotten, because that's who we were. That's actually what drives us, not not a flashpan moment of social media fire. That's not sustaining a fight for justice. What sustains a fight for justice from God's people is that we, of all people, we should have been forgotten. We should have been hated. We should have been unwelcomed by God. And yet, because of the abundance of His mercy, we were welcomed in. I enter your house through the abundance of your loving kindness, says David. And the more that that is the cry of our hearts, the more we will be able to truly lament and groan over the injustice in the world. That I can begin to truly lament the sin and the evil in the world only when I am in touch with the sin and the evil in me. Anything less than that is self-deceived self-righteousness. See, self-righteousness blinds us. Because here's what begins to happen, and here's what, what sin loves to do. It loves to make things about us. Self-righteous lamenting ends up being about me, and I actually forget to actually care about those who are oppressed and who are, per- who are being perpetrated by injustice. I forget about the victims because self-righteousness can only let me see me. But mercy gives me a new set of eyes. The abundance of the Lord's kindness takes my eyes off of me and lets me actually see and actually love those in my world that have been forgotten and that have been oppressed. This is what makes David's cries for injustice so powerful and so clear. He is not confused about his own need for mercy. There is not one shred of self-righteousness going on in David, and because he is not self-righteous, he can see clearly. And guess what he can see? All the evil out there with, with, with crystal clarity, and he can lament over it and groan over it and want to fight against it. He can cry out for justice to be done in the world because he knows that justice that should have been done to him was born by Jesus instead. The mirror has been shown to David, and it shows him not only his own evil, it shows him God's mercy too. When that is the experience of the people of God, we will inevitably want to go fight truly for justice not want to be seen the right way, not want to be viewed the right way, not want to make this about us, not judge the other side. We will keep our eyes on the oppressed and the forgotten because that's who we were. So the first the tears of injustice and then the mirror of God's justice. And then what's next? What do we do? Where does David lead us next? Well, we're going to get into this some next week. Uh, Dave Burden is going to uh, lead us uh, farther down this road. But before we close, let me just briefly say in this final point, we need to be led into the way of justice for God's people. David, again, as looking in the mirror so he can see clearly. And this is, listen to what he says in verse 8, kind of the second part of the, of the pinnacle moment of this psalm. He says, lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies and make your way straight before me. David's next step, after he's lamented over injustice, after he's seen the mirror of God's justice and God's mercy, his next step is to humbly ask the Lord to lead him to justice and righteousness. Because David knows, ultimately, God wants his people to be holy way more than God wants his people to be woke or on the right side of history. God wants his people to be holy like he's holy. And David knows, if that's going to be me, I need you to lead me there, Lord. I need you to lead me in your righteousness. I need you to lead me in your justice. And holiness begins to be manifested by God's people through a humble repentance and a humble dependence on the Lord, asking him, where would you lead us? How would you have me take my next steps? We don't want this just to be another flashpan moment of impassioned yelling and impassioned social media posting and conversations for a season. We want, as the people of God, to be a people who have a sustained lamenting for injustice, who have sustained fight for the oppressed. So how could the church begin to change entire systems that work against the oppressed? How could we as a church seek out the forgotten? How could we learn to protect the vulnerable around us? I don't know the exact answer for that for you. There's a lot of places to go, but I know that it begins with us pausing and asking just what David asks in verse 8. Truly, Lord, lead us. Lead us in your righteousness. How would you have me care for my neighbor? How would you have me lead my family? How would you have me engage in conversations? How would you have me protest? How would you have me seek real social change? Maybe you're in a position of power in this city, or maybe you need to help people who need to get in positions of power in this city. How would you do that? I don't know all the answers. I know that there's a lot of great work going on already in this city. I know the work of Jonathan Nash that you guys have seen all week, hopefully. He's been laboring for years in Napier, and guess what he needs from you? He needs your prayer, and guess what? He needs your financial support. He needs to be lifted up, and he needs to have the the flame of what he's been doing have gasoline poured on it, and have awesome logs thrown onto that fire, because he needs a sustained strength to continue to do this, and he needs his community to keep pushing, to keep fighting, to keep supporting him. We have some amazing partner organizations that we partner with at 12 South. I know our other congregations do this as well. We partner with Young Lives, we partner with Corner to Corner, we partner with NAHT. These are amazing organizations. All their information is on our website. If you have a, have a desire to get involved and you don't just want this to be a fleeting moment or a fleeting season, go on our website and volunteer with them. They're doing amazing work for the oppressed. They're doing amazing work for the forgotten. They're doing amazing work for racial reconciliation. I would encourage all of us to have the strength of a sustained lament that comes from having the Lord lead us as He fights against injustice, and to carry that with us as we walk in the world. So as we go, not only do we want to be a people who are marked by our tears for injustice, and not only do we want to be a people who remember as we look in the mirror of justice that we have been shown an abundance of mercy, we want to be a people who are constantly asking the Lord to lead us and to make His way straight before us. Let's pray. Jesus, um, give us a sustained lament for our world. May we join with our uh, tear-weeping God, our tear-weeping Jesus, who cries over what sin has done in this world. May we be more like Jesus in that way. May we be a people who long for shalom, who long for the kingdom to come in its fullness. And may we find our strength there in our repentance May we find our strength to to be sustained in that effort through our um, humble need for your mercy. Wipe away the blindness of self-righteousness and give us uh, the eyes to see those around us, we pray. We love you. Thank you uh, for leading us and guiding us. O great shepherd, continue to do that, we pray, in the weeks and months and years to come. In your name, amen.
3: Let's sing these words together lamb of God you take away the sins of the world have mercy on us let's cry out to our God for mercy
1: town. Let's read this confession together.
3: O Lord, my every sense, member, faculty, affection is a snare to me. I can scarce open my eyes without envying those above me or despising those below me. I covet honor and riches of the mighty and am proud and unmerciful to the rags of others. If I behold beauty, it is a bait to lust. Or see deformity, it stirs up loathing and disdain. How soon do slanders, vain jests, and malicious speeches creep into my heart? Am I attractive? What fuel for pride? Am I deformed? What an occasion for self-pity. Am I gifted? I lust after applause. Am I inexperienced? How I despise what I do not have. Am I in authority? How prone I am to abuse my trust, make my will my law, exclude others' enjoyments, serve my own interests and policies. Am I inferior? How I resent others' excellence. Am I rich? How exalted I become you know that all of these are snares because of my corruptions and that my greatest snare is myself. Yet what can you expect from dust but foolishness or corruption but defilement? Keep me ever mindful of my natural state but let me not forget my heavenly title or the grace that can deal with every sin.
1: Amen. Now as we sing this last song Let's do so with the hope that there will be a day when every sad thing will come untrue. There will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And we will be one, as He and the Father are one. All the poor and powerless will come confess Know that you God.
0: Now as you move from here out into the sin and evil in the world and in the sin and evil in our own hearts, uh, receive this blessing from your loving Father, from your righteous King, from your empowering Holy Spirit. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.